You're listening to the Oil & Gas This Week podcast with Mark LaCour and Jake Corley. This is the show for busy oil pros who quickly want to keep their finger on the pulse of the industry. Welcome back to another episode of Oil & Gas This Week. You're listening to episode 145. Mark, it is hot outside. I think it's like 105, 110. Yeah, I just came back from lunch and it's a Sunday afternoon. And my car said it's 105 degrees on the road. It's crazy. <sighs> Jeez. And then we were in Galveston last week for the downstream conference. And um, how was that? Sitting, it was actually really, really good. You know, we don't get a chance to make it to a lot of downstream conferences. The the funny thing for me, or the interesting thing for me, was the excitement in the air because downstream is making money left and right. They don't know what to do with themselves. So naturally, the conference reflected that. So the food at the conference was awesome. The happy hour at the conference, all top shelf liquor and wine. And then they did an <laughs> offsite happy hour. You know, all the stuff that upstream conferences were doing six years ago, but haven't been able to do the last three years. And <laughs> and, and they were just booming. And it was it was really interesting. It's it's a even though it's still oil and gas, and even though it's still an oil and gas conference it's like a different culture and it was it was good we met a lot of good people you know shout out to a lot of the companies out there we got to introduce ourselves to looking at bringing some some of them on some of our podcasts as guests but it was it was a good time but in going to Galveston we hit a bunch of traffic because it was the day after school split out and so I was stuck on 45 on that concrete for about 30 minutes and Jake my car said it was 111 degrees that's just nuts you know that is rough yeah. So for all you people up in the Upper East Coast and the Upper West Coast that walk outside and it's 87 degrees and you complain about the heat wave, shut up. <laughs> so speaking of events, thanks everyone to uh, you know for coming out to our, our happy hour for uh, the month of May. I think we had a pretty good turnout. It was a good group of people. I met a lot of a lot of great a lot of great connections. And you know, Mark, Jake, you- I had a, I had a bunch of people come up to me and say, "Thank you for doing this. This is the best oil and gas networking event I've ever been to." So if you haven't <laughs> made it out to any of them, you need to make it. They fill up quickly. Now we may have some stuff moving around. We haven't quite got that figured out yet. The other thing that we do is we try to make sure it's valuable. So it's not just free booze and food, but we try to bring some educational mo- uh, pieces in, you know, throughout the year. So uh, stay tuned for what we're good doing um, right now. One of the best things you can do is either follow uh, Oil and Gas this week on Twitter. Or follow either Jake or Colin or myself or Paige. And we, when we get the dates, we push them out on our social. And we're working on getting this thing built out so we have a web page so you can actually know about it ahead of time. But for right now, you just got to follow somebody and we'll let you know. But we always do it the last Tuesday of the month, right, Jake? Yeah, that's the goal is to kind of keep that at least consistent. So the, the location may change. The types of events may change. There's always going to be a happy hour component attached to it. I think that's uh, very valuable and I think it's good to just kind of unwind. But like you said, I think we're trying to, to, to bring a little bit more specialized events like we did the oil and gas tech funding panel. That was a huge hit. We had a lot of people turn out for that. So I can think I think we'll do either more panels, maybe some Shark Tank type events, you know, focus more on like startups in this space. Uh, who knows? Honestly, we're, we're kind of just winging it. You know, we're kind of just... Yeah. <laughs> Figuring it out yeah. as we go. Yeah. And uh, Jake, what you don't know, because you haven't got to the bottom of the show notes, is I changed the name of the happy hour. So one of our one of our attendees last time was a young engineer from uh, from Chevron, actually. And he goes, this is not a happy hour. This is a super happy hour. So I've changed super the name happy of it. Hour. It's now officially <laughs> the Oil and Gas Global Network super happy hour. <laughs> it's the only hey, super happy hour in the industry. <laughs> yep. Hey, and speaking of super, those of you out there that give us reviews, you're super. It takes a few minutes. It's the best way to support the show. We got a couple of good ones. Excellent oil and gas information by JP Douglas. Outstanding information pertains to the latest news affecting the oil and gas industry. See, that was short. You don't need to leave us a three paragraphs. One sentence is great, just like JP did. And then we've got another one. Best oil and gas podcast out there by CPTJG. 
Well, CBTJG, me and Jake this, think this is the best oil and gas podcast out there as well. <laughs> From a transitioning veteran looking to break into the industry, Mark and Jake's podcast gets you up to speed quickly on industry news and knowledge. Thanks to OGGN's podcast, I can now engage in insightful discussions and effective networking with industry leaders. Thank guys and keep it up. You're very welcome. Like I said, give us a review. It takes a couple of minutes. It is the best way you can support the show and keep Jake and I talking. And we need to jump into news shows, news stories, Jake. And this has been a slow week for news, hasn't it? Yeah, it's been pretty slow. So most of the stories are going to kind of revolve around oil prices, geopolitics, and how it's going to affect said oil prices and the outlook over the next you know, 12, 24, maybe even 36 months. So I'm sure this was something that I saw. Obviously, you know, we're checking oil prices every day, especially now that we were operating and we're selling oil. <laughs> it kind of kind of makes sense for us. Makes a difference, kinda, huh? Yeah, it makes a little bit of difference. So we're, we're watching that a little bit more closely. And so one of the most interesting things that I've seen, especially like over the last week, is the di- divergence of the WTI and Brent crude. Usually those are within about two, two, three dollars from each other. But now we're looking at, I think it's uh, like a seventeen dollar difference between the two. Isn't that crazy? And, and that if you don't crazy. know what that, if you don't know what that means, that means that the WTI guys have to discount their crude seventeen dollars a barrel just to get it to market. That's insane. Uh huh. So do do we know why this fluctuation is going on? So it's crudes. So a part of it, part of the story is, uh, I think a lot of it has to do with pipeline constraints. We're seeing pipeline constraints up in Canada. It's the same thing in the Permian. We're just having, we just have too much supply. We don't have enough pipelines or transportation methods to actually get it to market. And so, uh, you know, producers are having to sell this at a, at a major discount. Yeah. And so if you think that through, and if you listen to us for a length of time, we call this on our predictions the end of 2017 for the, that this exact thing was happening in 2018 is that pipelines was going to be hot. The reason is their constraints. Pipeline is the most economical, environmentally friendly way to get hydrocarbons to market. So that means that pipeline construction is booming here and also globally and will continue for at least the next decade. But this article is absolutely right. Those constraints means it's harder to bring certain crudes to market. Well, then you start getting the price fluctuations between the different crudes. The other thing that they don't talk about and hear a lot, but is also part of this fluctuation is different parts of the world, the refining and petrochemicals, the downstream part of their their countries have a different need or or appetite for different types of crude. Some places in the world like the heavy sour crudes, and we we love that here in the U.S. Some parts of the world like that light sweet crude. So that's also could cause some some, um, uh, differentiation between the prices between different barrels. And, you know, you hear me talk all the time that, you know, oil is like the only true global commodity. And the reason it is is because we have the infrastructure to move it anywhere we want for, for pennies and set that's the reason a price of crude is the same price here in Houston, Texas day that it is in Japan. But you always have these fluctuations based upon the type of crude and what's going on in that certain geographic area. Once we get a lot of this pipeline, like speaking of the Permian, because I think we have to, it's law. I think this whole year, Jake, you and I have to talk Permian on every episode. <laughs> Pretty much every episode. <laughs> but you look at, at the, the the constraint in the Permian right now, and there's massive pipelines being built. A whole bunch of different country companies doing this because they all see the economic benefit of getting that capacity to market able to move that Permian oil and gas, what I think is going to happen, Jake, is they're going to end up building an oversupply of transport. So I think not 
this year, not 2019, but 2020, 2021, right around there, all of a sudden you're going to have too much transportation between the Permian and the Gulf Coast, which means that transportation costs is going to bottom out. So now those pipeline operators are going to be hurting, but the operators and the refineries are going to be loving it because they're able to get crude to market for, for dirt cheap. So I think you can see this kind of rebound in about four years. But if, if you're a company out there and, and you have any type of engineering or procurement or construction part of your business and you're not looking at midstream right now, you're crazy because there's money every place right there. How do you think this is going to affect the U.S. crude oil exports? Oh, that, ooh, that's, a, well, that's a big question. That's something that's on our radar for 2019. So what do I think? What I think is that you're going to start seeing LNG. So LNG, the price of, I shouldn't say LNG, the price of gas has always had a connection to the price of crude. I think you can see, and I think it's happening now, I think you can see that being disconnected. It's not so much that the rest of the world is going to consume our export of crude, which they will. We're going to continue to export more and more and more because the refineries in Central and South America love the light, sweet crude we produce here. But what I think you can see, Jake, you're seeing the price of gas start to creep back up. You're seeing the price of LNG uh, creeping back up, which we knew it would happen. I think you can see LNG be the new hydrocarbon commodity of the world. I mean, quite frankly, it, it's it's the best way to produce electricity, the least environmental impact. It's dirt cheap. We now have the technology where we can move it around the world economically. And I think probably in five years, six years, LNG is going to be the hydrocarbon that's on, in our oceans being moved around more than oil. Now, these emerging economies, the India's and the Chinese, China's of the world, still be heavy use of crude for another 10, 20, 30 years. And the crude will never go away. As we go through time, crude will be used more to make stuff than it is for fuel, but it, it, it makes everything that our modern life depends on happen. I mean, everything from your cell phone to your toothbrush to lipstick to paint to, you know, all of that stuff. So I guess to answer your question, I, I think what's going to happen is as we, these pipelines get built and as our export terminals get built, you'll just see the U.S. export more and more crude because we can. Yep. So obviously, there's a, there's a lot of factors that influence the global price of crude, and we've talked a lot about you know uh, the OPEC production cuts over the last, it seems like what has been last year and a half, or is it the last year? I don't know. I've lost track of time. But this next article is kind of diving into the fact that Russia and OPEC are engaging in discussions uh, that might result in them actually boosting production quotas under the export limitation agreement by several hundred thousand barrels per day uh, in order to prevent prices from rising to what most people are saying would be uh, demands destroying levels. So Russian President Putin said that, you know, everybody's happy around $60 oil. And so they're, they're trying to, uh, to balance that out with, with the actual production. So do you think that Russia and OPEC have as much of a, as much control over oil prices as they used to? So let me answer that in a different way. When before Russia and OPEC started working together, they both tried to influence oil prices. And, and that quite honestly, they both did. Um, they both lost a lot of that ability with the U.S. production. Now that they've joined forces, they're much stronger because they're working together. Um, I don't like the fact they're working together. I really, really wish that the U.S. could repair its relationship with Russia because I would much better, I'd much rather Russia and the U.S. be friends as far as the, the global oil and gas market. But to, today, you know, in June 2018, that's not happening. So it, it's it's. It's, they, they have more control, but only because they, they band it together. You know, other thing besides we always have to talk about permanent shows, I think we always have to talk about the military, you know. So if, if you look at the U.S. military, if you look at the Navy, and you look at our, the next biggest seven navies in the world, and if you took all seven of those navies, you combined them, they're still not as big as the U.S. Navy. That tells you how big a difference it is, right? That's sort of what's going on with our continuing growth output 
and Russia and OPEC. Russia and OPEC used to be the biggest navies in the world. Now you combine their navies and they're not going to be as big as our navy will be in a couple of years. And when I say navy, I'm being facetious. I mean oil and gas output. So they're trying to control prices. The thing is, because they're both nationalized oil companies, more or less, they can do that. They can say, hey, go up production, go down production, whatever. What a lot of people in OPEC, because I've, I've spent a lot of time in the Middle East working and I've met a lot of people from there. Because they don't understand the oil and gas culture in the U.S., they don't understand that it doesn't work that way here. So if if I'm an independent oil producer out in the, the Haynesville shell, because I'm not going to say Permian again, and somebody tells me to cut production, I'm gonna go no, <laughs> no, I gotta make my money. I got I gotta pay this loan back. You know, I'm I'm obliged contractually at this lease to produce so much crude and oil and gas. You can't tell me what to do. And if for some reason I decided to listen to you, the guy that's competing right with the well next door will just up his production. So our governmental, our laws, our politics, and just the culture in the U.S keeps us from coming together because if we did come together it would be called antitrust right so if if anadarko and newport and exxon all agreed on production cuts or increasing that would be illegal in this country that'd be price fixing so for now opec and russia can control the market i've said this for years and i still firmly believe it we are slowly eroding away opec's control over crude natural gas now they've boosted themselves by partnering with russia but i think the u.s still has enough economic strength and enough hydrocarbons potential to even take on Russia and OPEC together. And I think we will. And I think, uh, I think we will get to the point where we're controlling prices instead of them. And if you think about it that way, now it's really the global free market controlling prices, which yes, will hurt people. Will yes, will help, will speed up companies go out of business. But in the grand scheme of things, it's just good for everybody. So, you know, Russia and OPEC are doing a good job. They're, they're the reasons price went back up. Prices went back up. Our oversupply globally has shrunk dramatically. I can see OPEC and Russia uh, increase in production. And, and they talk about that $60 a barrel. It's a real sensitive area for both of those countries they both make good money at that price point but they also opec especially subsidizes things like fuels for for its citizens and as the price goes up the cost of the government to subsidize that fuel goes up as well which then eats their margins as the price of oil going up so it's something else that people here in the u.s don't understand is that you know a lot of parts of the world, the government subsidizes fuel for its people to keep the people happy, but that money has to come from somewhere, and it comes from the money the government makes from selling the crude. So there's there's a balancing act there. I think we're going to get over $60 a barrel. I think we're going to be around the mid-70s. I don't think we'll quite hit 80 although I would love to see it happen. But I think for the rest of this year, it's, it's going to be interesting to, to watch because I firmly believe the price could continue to creep up just like they have been. The other thing that's interesting is watching the price of gasoline here in the U.S. take a dramatic jump. And a lot of people want to equate that to what's going on with OPEC and Russia. And what they don't realize, that's not what happens. It goes up every year at this time because the refiners have to switch from their winter refining blend to their summer refining blend. And so every year people forget that prices go up right when school gets out. And then so next year they'll have another reason. They'll blame it on something else. Like, no, that's just us switching blends. It happens every year. So the next article is kind of diving into something else that could potentially drive the, the price of oil further up. Uh, so the International Maritime Organization, or IMO, has set January 1st, 2020 as the starting date from which only low sulfur fuel oil will be allowed to use for ships. So it's actually cutting it by like one-fifth, I think. So I, I'm not even going to pretend to... Like I know about sulfur limits or even the uh, <laughs> uh, anything like that. But what it's saying is that the regulation will send demand for Middle East or Middle distillates uh, such as diesel and maritime gas oil soaring and refiners will have to shift from the products uh, that will be processing from crude oil. 
Yeah. So when you when you are fine crude, there's a bunch of things that go on. And please, 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 any of your chemical engineers out there, don't send me hate mail. I know it's more complex than what I'm getting ready to say, right? But basically, if you think about it, they boil it. And then at certain temperatures, they pull off that vapor and they condense it. So stuff like gasoline has a much lower boiling point, right, than something like diesel. And diesel has a much lower boiling point than something like fuel oil or even creosote. You know, so what's happening here is that middle of the blend. So not not the highly volatile stuff and not the really heavy stuff, that middle of blend part, which is what they're talking about here, they're, they're decreasing the sulfur content and the sulfur creates pollutants in the air. And so by de- by pulling that out, it's going to help decrease the pollution that diesel and fuel oils produce in, in the maritime environment. Now, with all that said, there's still not catalytic converters on ocean liners, on cargo containers, right? There's still not lean burn technology. They burn some of the dirtiest fuel out there. And and you never hear, when you hear people talking about air pollution, you never hear them talking about boats, about ships, about cargo containers. They pollute way more than an than a automobile, especially automobiles here in the U.S. You know, Jake, you and I are both car people. I don't know if you and I have ever talked about this, but my 2013 Infiniti G37 at 80 miles an hour puts out a tenth. That's one tenth of the pollution that my 1967 Mustang put out, cut off, sitting in the garage overnight. That's how clean our that's how clean our cars burn right now. If you had a magic wand and you could wave that magic wand in the US and remove every internal combustion engine car or truck off the roads, it would drop our total country's air pollution by a whopping one percent. I mean it's 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 almost now cars and trucks in the other part of the world that don't have lean burn technology, they don't have catalytic converters, they don't have exhaust gas sniffer test, they still pollute like they did here in the 60s and 70s. But our cars run so clean. But I do think it's cool they're, they're starting to tap into the maritime environment. That's a place where you could really make a difference. It's also a place where I've seen some real innovation in, of all things, electric you know, tugboats, which help pull these big t- uh, tankers and cruise liners safely into port. I'm starting to watch some really cool electric tugboat technology that gives, gives them instant torque immediately on those props on those that allow them to move those big ships around. So there's, you know, there's a really cool technology being applied in a way that I never would have thought of. I never would have thought of an electric tugboat as being practical, but it's not only is it practical, it's better in some of the ways. So we'll keep an eye on this. The other thing they talk about here is how some of the other refineries around the world are going to end up losing. And that's basically the Middle Eastern crude refiners don't produce maritime fuels. So, you know, I mean, I'm sorry, I got that backwards. It's um, the Middle Eastern crude refiners produce a lot of maritime fuels, but they produce it the high sulfur kind. And so they don't produce any of the low sulfur kinds. So if with the laws changing, they're gonna have a bunch of fuel oil sitting on their hands that they're not gonna be able to sell. So they're they're gonna end up losing on this one. So on the topic of, I don't know if this is really considered petrochemicals or not, but do you want to take the lead on the last article? (laughs) <laughs> I think it counts as petrochemical since the title is petrochemical demand <laughs> to continue to drive gas consumption. This is a um, an article in Business and Industry Connection, Bic Magazine, which if you're not subscribed, you need to subscribe to the magazine. They actually have, if you're looking for a job, it's, it's one of those websites you never would have thought of in oil and gas. So they have a great uh, recruiting part of their business in oil and gas. And it's it's a downstream centric organization. And so they're talking about how Natural gas, you can do way more with it than just use it to barbecue steaks on a a Memorial Day. Natural gas, the ammonia that's in fertilizer, it feeds about 70% of the world, comes from natural gas. The plastics that make everything that you touch, everything around you, comes from natural gas. And what's happening is, and we've talked about this before on the show, but what's happening is we have this abundant, ridiculously inexpensive natural gas supply here in the U.S. because of fracking. 
And the petrochemical companies are very aware that raw feedstock is dirt cheap and it's long-term forecastable. It's not like we're going to run out of natural gas here in the next 100, 200, 300 years. We're not going to run out forever. And so this is a great place to put a petrochemical plant that uses natural gas as raw feedstock. And so they're talking about the petrochemical market and the petrochemical market's growing like crazy. Once again, if you listen to us any length of time, you know we've been talking about that for forever. But you're seeing a lot of the petrochemical companies realize there's a whole bunch of money be made. And before, their, their things like their crackers, they throttled them down, right? They didn't want to run them wide open because they couldn't buy enough raw feedstock, which is natural gas. Well, now you're seeing that being removed and, and they're basically opening the chokes. They're running these uh, petrochemical plants, these uh, uh, ethylene crackers at wide open, producing a ton of product. And, and the, the majority of that product comes from a part of natural gas called ethane. And so you're seeing all this money being made, which means you see other companies see the potential here. And now they're coming to build ethylene crackers and so on and so on and so on. There's over $147 billion with a B dollars worth of new projects right here in the Gulf Coast of the U.S. I mean, that's a lot of construction projects, $147 billion. And here's the cool thing, Jake. Guess what state accounts for 99% of those projects? Texas. Texas. How cool is that, right? All those jobs, all that prosperity, and 1% is in the rest of the country, and we have 99% of it. Got to love Texas. If you're out there looking for a job, if you're a welder, a pipe fitter, machinist, you want to make top dollar, come to Texas. They can't hire them quick enough. And then the cool thing is you're, we're producing all these petrochemicals, which makes modern life possible, but we're not using them ourselves. We're shipping them all over the world. So, you know, this poor Chinese family now can have, you know, Tupperware or cell phones or, you know, plastic dishes or basketballs or tennis shoes. And so it's just, it's, it's really cool. And it's really cool to see the rest of the world, see the economic potential, see the business advantage and coming over here and investing money like crazy. How cool is it when other governments, when other companies outside of the U.S. comes and invest money here in the U.S.? As an American, I love that, right? That's job creation, that's prosperity. And quite honestly, if they make, if they do their investment right, they're making money, which then creates more jobs on their side of the world. So this is a good article just talking about petrochemicals, how it's boom and how it will continue to boom. And that about wraps up the stories. So today was obviously like a shorter day. Yeah, it was a good, good little talk, though. Yeah. So speaking of shorter days, if you'd like to carry a bunch of stuff quickly and shortly, you need a, <laughs> I know that's a hard one, huh? you need a Red Wing bag. These things are in super high demand. It's become a cult item. There's only one way to win one or only one, one, one way to get one, period, is you go to redwingshoes.com forward slash podcast. That's redwingshoes.com forward slash podcast. Put your information in. We give away one lucky winner a week. No purchase necessary. See official site for rules and details. Then, of course, we have to talk about the weekly rig count. Uh, hats off to Drilling Info for providing us this data. So, Jake, what's the rig count look like? 1,107 rigs. That's a good number. That's a real good number. Uh, speaking of rigs, Jake, when we went to the downstream conference in Galveston, we stopped at the Ocean Star, the Jackup Museum there. If, if nobody's had a chance to actually go check that out, it's not much money. You get a tour, a real Jackup that has all the top drive, draw works, the PPE. I mean, everything's still there. And it's it's a great way to kind of see what a rig looks like in the Gulf of Mexico and actually touch it. And like I said, it's on the way to Galveston. So we give them a shout out to Ocean Star. Speaking of shout out and events, if you'd like to learn about all the events that are going on, we have a newsletter. It's really easy. Jacob put a link. Actually, it's not Jake anymore. It's Julie. Thanks, Julie. Julie put a link in the show notes <laughs> <laughs> and we, you know, subscribe. We never spam you and we take all the oil and gas events plus any freebies we can find is stick in your inbox once a month. We talked about the OGG and super happy hour. It's going to be the last Tuesday of this month. Details to follow. And then 
The happy hour has become a boom and all of our sponsors for the happy hour have gotten rave reviews. I mean, the amount of contacts we get, the the information, the networking is just super beneficial to any company that's trying to sell their product or service oil and gas. It's dirt cheap. I think it's $455. If you have an interest in sponsoring one of our events, reach out to Julie. Jake, I'm pretty sure we're booked the entire rest of this year. So if you, if you want to get in on 2019, you better hurry because I suspect in another month or two, we're going to have 2019 booked. But we'd love to have you on as a sponsor for, for our oil and gas ha- super happy hour. Sorry, I got to get it right. So reach out to Julie and, and she'll share the details. Then if you'd like Jake and I to come speak, and Jake, we're actually, we got a couple speaking gigs coming up, one of which you don't even know about because you're too busy having a child. Um, but, <laughs> but if you would like Jake and I to come speak at your trade association, your company, your conference, sales and marketing meetings, whatever, reach out. We have to share the details. And then we have first Friday Q&A coming up. Go to our website. Click on ask a question. If, if Submit your question. If we answer it, you get a big shout out on the air. And then while you're at the website, give us your email address. We won't spam you. This is the way you'll find out about what we're doing first. If you want to find out what we're doing next second, join the Oil & Gas Global Network LinkedIn group. And Jake, that's about it. You ready to get out of here? Yep, let's do it. All right, folks, remember, do great work, pay it forward, and we will see you next time. Tune in next week for another informative and entertaining episode of Oil & Gas This Week podcast, a product of the Oil & Gas Global Network. Learn more at oilandgasthisweek.com.